0: I'm Johnny, Varvel UK's Editor-in-Chief, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the Varvel Football Podcast. This podcast aims to bring you insight, debate, and entertainment from some of the best and brightest young sports journalists from around the world. Please do give us a listen. You've already started, so I'd recommend staying for a little bit longer at least. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, then please do give us a subscribe, and even better, give us a positive review. Positive reviews are a great way to expand our reach. Not only would this mean a lot to me, but it would mean a lot to over 300 writers that write regularly for Varble UK. We hope to get as many of them on this podcast as we possibly can over the course of the 2021 to 22 season. Anyway, enough of my waffle. Let's get straight into this.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
0: So yeah, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful start, actually, to episode six of the Bible Football Podcast. Cristiano Ronaldo, big story. Everyone's been talking about it, it seems, forever and ever and ever. They announced it on social media about two million times. It's got <laughs> Callum quite amusingly tweeted earlier in the week. And I thought it was wonderful to have one, two, or maybe even three Man United guests on. Three I thought was a bit too much, so I said, <laughs> I said to Luke, wonderful Burnley editor, Burnley deputy editor and Man United fan, you don't need to come on today, mate, it's all right, we've got it covered. And the other two cancelled, so I went back to Luke, he also was then busy after I declined him in the first place. So, what better way than to, than to welcome Cristiano Ronaldo back to Manchester United than in the company of Manchester City editor Tom Young. How are you doing, Tom?
2: Yeah, good. It's uh, like you say, maybe not the um, the chosen guest for a Ronaldo-centred uh, podcast. But, you know, we can uh, we can put our blue tinted glasses to one side for a little bit. And then when we come back to the to the real team in Manchester later on, we'll be cool.
0: Most Mancunian man since Noel Gallagher, I must say so. And obviously Callum is also here. Most Birmingham brummy man since Jack Grealish. No,
1: oh, I'm East Midlands.
0: It's so. basically the same thing, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't even know what my accent is. It's not even Northern proper, proper Northern. E bag, oh my fantastic, right? <laughs> so we'll go straight into, um, we'll go straight into the main topic, which we well, I mean, as I as I said before, went on the podcast. Leicester v Man City is, you know, a probably the game of the weekend. A lot of games that were quite good this weekend. I think quite competitive, but. The main talking point, of course, as, as you said, Tom, was the return of Ronaldo to Old Trafford. And he didn't disappoint, did he? he got two goals against a Newcastle team that are looking quite down in the dumps at the moment. Steve Bruce under pressure. I mean, from the game itself, United weren't necessarily free-flowing. They weren't necessarily cutting through Newcastle at will. In fact, you could argue that Poor Freddie Woodman, who's the third-choice goalkeeper, starting between the sticks at Newcastle, arguably was at fault for both of Ronaldo's goals. So, if De or Dalo was in goal, maybe Ronaldo doesn't get on the score sheet on his debut. I'm sure, you know, it's it's all ifs, buts, and maybe he might have found another way. But yeah, I mean, that aside, it's it's it is the return of the king, isn't it? It was just just remarkable to see.
2: Yeah, no, I think. As as you've said, Newcastle weren't bad. They were good value for money. They had chances as well. Um, So they had a couple before United took the lead and then they had a couple at at 1-0 before they equalised. And I think on another day, like you say, Newcastle take the lead and and maybe a different keeper between the sticks and we might be having a different conversation. But with Ronaldo there, what you've got is arguably what United have been missing uh, over the, the course of the last couple of seasons is... They've they've played well against the, the bigger clubs per se. They've got results against against the sides and then around them at the top of the table. But where they've struggled is to break down teams like Newcastle at home. I think they got I remember them getting beat by Palace at home first game of last season and they had a they had a load of ball and they, they just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. And don't get me wrong, they're not they're not gonna make um the highlights real or well they wouldn't for any uh, quality uh reasons, but the, the two goals Ronaldo scored, the, the first one is probably the easiest goal he'll ever score in. Again, the second's taken well, but you you argue that Woodman should do better with it. But having a striker or a player like Ronaldo who will take those chances when they come is exactly what United are missing. And I think, like again, as a City fan, you, you can't question the atmosphere, the reception, just the whole the whole day from from a perspective of of a United fan or or someone obviously looking at it from from that point of view. Uh, it couldn't have gone better for them really, and then. Obviously, Bruno Fernandes gets in on the out with a great goal as well, which I'm sure their partnership and their combination will cause a lot of teams, a lot of problems this season. So, yeah, it, could, it couldn't it could have gone better, I think, if you'd handed if you'd handed, uh, if you handed someone a, a blank script and asked them to write Ronaldo's return. I think maybe a hat-trick would have probably put the uh, the cherry on the cake, but I don't think they're going to turn down a, a convincing victory in a couple of goals. So, yeah, for anyone who was questioning whether or not he'd... Uh, He's still got it. However, not he's he's cut out for the Premier League at, at his age. I think he's still a long way to go. But I think he's he's made a, a good start in in putting those uh, those dollars to one side. And I don't think anyone really doubted him. Did they? I don't think anyone really thought he'd struggle because he is an unbelievable athlete. And I don't think there's many footballers at 36 years of age who can who can ever have said that they have got the, the physical attributes and the abilities that Ronaldo has right now. And mm. I've got every confidence, unfortunately, that they'll go on and, and, and continue to score goals for United this season.
0: Yeah. Maybe Ibrahimovic when he was 36, he did quite, he was, you know, <laughs> phenomenal, wasn't he as well with his athleticism. Um, But yeah, no, a phenomenal athlete, really. I mean, one thing I noticed with United, um, Callum, when I watched, and it's not the first time I've noticed this, Tom sort of alluded to it, 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 it struggle sometimes to break down a deep defensive block. And I sort of put that down a little bit to the fact that maybe unlike Manchester City or Chelsea now under Thomas Tuchel, who are who are managed by coaches who are outstanding tacticians that work heavily on attacking game plans and systems to break teams down, at Manchester United, it seems more to be that the players themselves are supposed to take responsibility in certain moments and suppose a bit of a throwback to... Maybe Jose Mourinho teams when he expected certain players in maybe number 10s or, or strikers to step up, take, take the initiative and be a maverick or something like that. And United have a lot of those players with Pogba, Fernandes, Sancho, Ronaldo, Greenwood even now. But do you think that's a bit of a flaw to their title ambitions, the speed at which they play? Because again, if, if Freddie Woodman is slightly more assured in goal, it's becoming a really difficult game, that isn't it for United because the first two goals quite clearly do are partially down to him.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. It sometimes feels like when watching United play, it's almost sort of like they're just hoping for moments of magic rather than it sort of coming together. You sort of mentioned with Chelsea and Man City, and that you know it sort of it's clearly worked on, whereas almost it's sort of, it's almost in a way like they've they've got too many of those players where they just want a moment of magic, like you know, they want a Ronaldo a bit of magic, Fernandez, Greenwood or whatever. And there's no sort of real flow. And sometimes I think having too many of those on the pitch, it's almost sort of like for those players who aren't expected to conjure up that moment of magic when needed. It's almost sort of like, a, well, who am I going to give the ball to? Because I've got this person who can do this, I've got this person to do that. And, you know, if if teams are marking these players out of the game or, you know, getting the better of them and they're not having the best day, then it, it's a struggle for United. But I think, Anyone who didn't think United were going to win the game, regardless how they played, just you know you'd have been hard pressed to find anyone because I think the whole just sort of the aura of Ronaldo being back it's 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 another level you know Old Trafford was as loud as it's been for for years wasn't it you know it, a player like that it doesn't matter what size club you are a player of that magnitude coming in naturally lifts not just the fans but the players on the pitch as well it's these moments of magic that were coming through orbit you know, Ronaldo's goals are a bit fortuitous with the goalkeeping, but, you know, it was, it was, I've been hard pressed to find anyone who thought United weren't going to win that game. But yeah, I think sometimes, you know, especially sort of against better sides as well, when these attackers are coming up against no disrespect to other teams, but better players, these players often, you know, sometimes they struggle to, Put a hold on the game, but you know, maybe sort of now that Ronaldo's here, it may allow the likes of Fernandez and that to blossom even more because the whole focus is going to be on let's stop Cristiano Ronaldo. But there's so many talented players, you know, Greenwood won the. That's two-footed finishers in the league without a doubt. You know, Rashford on his days great. Pogba, more space for him, you know, because people will be more focused. Pogba's had a great start to the season. You know, people like Luke Shaw on the wing can get more space to cross the ball in. It, it's it, it's going to take a bit of time, but it will, it, you know, it might help United become a bit more fluent in the way they play because his focus is always going to be on Ronaldo. Mm. So it's going to allow the other players to maybe not be expected to conjure up that moment of magic, but maybe sort of connect and work together a bit more. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fair points. Fair points. I mean, when I was looking at the game as well, one glaring thing to me and it's, I'll, I'll use the comparison with other rivals as well. Liverpool with Fabinho protecting the defence, Manchester City with Rodri or protecting the defence. Chelsea with sort of a pivot of Jorginho and Kante blocking the defence. Then Manchester United, Uh, going from all those wonderful defensive shields that are then either stuck with Fred or Matic or McTominay, but McTominay kind of wants to be a bit more box-to-box, so really you're looking at Fred or Matic in that double pivot as a defensive person, and neither of them. Neither of them fill me with the confidence of, of the of the other names we've just mentioned. And it's quite glaring, isn't it? Because if you do have that guy in front, it does offer so much for balance in terms of setting the tempo. Like you'll know, Tom, with Fernandino and Rodri, setting the tempo, intercepting balls, protecting those centre-backs. Again, putting the ball forward in a progressive way. You've got Fred who can kind of do the defensive side, but then gives the ball away too much. And Matic just seems to be well, well past his best, which we saw at Chelsea and maybe a little bit in his first season at Man United. So is that going to be where they come across for a little bit in terms of the balance? They've got an excellent defence, an outstanding attack, but no real person in that middle to to balance it all together?
2: I think so. And I think I said myself when they signed Ronaldo that no team turns down Cristiano Ronaldo if Cristiano Ronaldo wants to play for you. But at the same time, I do still maintain the belief that United would have been better spent using that money to pick up a Declan Rice or a, a player of, of that sort of calibre. Who, Because in Cavani, United have a striker who who is capable of scoring goals and doing what Ronaldo does. Maybe not to his level, but he's still a goal scorer and he's still someone who, if you give him the ball. And like uh, like Callum said before, Greenwood's one of the best finishers in the league and he's, he's going to score goals and he's only going to get better. Um, but they, went, they were never going to turn Ronaldo down, especially with it looking like if he hadn't signed for United, he'd have signed for City. The issue with the fans and the owners, I think if, if Ronaldo had come to City, I think it a war may have genuinely erupted at Old Trafford. And I don't think they could have allowed that to happen. And that's why, inevitably, I think they went after him. But no one can, can, can say that United have got a holding midfielder. I think they're probably about mid-table in terms of where you'd rank each team's best holding midfielder. Yeah. Fred and McTominay, you look at Calvin Phillips at Leeds is better than either of them. You've got Declan Rice. You've got the vast majority of the teams have a player who would fit into that United system better than than either of the two there. So I, that's why I think I think United will be in a title race this year. And I think that Ronaldo will score a lot of goals, but I think they will fall short in winning the league due to that, because Fred is, is not a good footballer. Like you say, McTominay... Wants to play a bit more progressively and, and, and bring the ball up the field, but they don't need that with Pogba and Fernandez next to him. They don't need a player to do that. They need someone who's going to sit in front of that back four and, and pass the ball literally 10 yards left and right. And that is all they want. That's all they need them to do. Matic was great here back in the day, but he's lost his legs a little now. And with two more attacking minded midfielders in front of him, you need that, that ability to cover a little bit more ground, which I think, again, with all due respect to Newcastle against the, the better sides, I don't think Matic has got it to be able to, to do that consistently across the season. So I do think they'll struggle until they get, well, not struggle because they'll win enough games and they'll be there or thereabouts, but I think the lack of, like you say, a Rodri, a Fernandinho, a Kante, um, one of these names, a Fabinho, I do think that they, they do just fall short of, of the other teams that are challenging for sort of the elite honours this season.
0: Mm-hmm. they've got a they've got a team i mean this is i think this is the closest thing in england to a galacticos team though isn't it the, the, the names just everywhere i mean my, people said that about manchester city manchester city signed players that weren't proven very often, most of the signings were young hungry exciting players from across europe and it was fantastic recruitment this is now the most marketable team in england i can think of in, in a long 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 time some absolute world renowned names there and it is exciting for Man United. And from a Newcastle perspective, I don't, you know, we can talk about Newcastle until the cows come home, uh, but there will be better days to talk about it because inevitably I actually thought, well, in my head, I predicted about 4 1 to Man United and it actually was 4 1 to Man United. So you don't really learn anything, do you, from Newcastle's point of view, other than the fact I will say, Callum, briefly that for I don't know, 70, 75 minutes. I thought they competed quite well and arguably were lucky to be behind. It just collapsed a bit at the end.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes, though, these are the sort of games, though, where you do come away having known you've played well, but still, you know, 4 1, it's on paper. You would argue that's close to a hammering, isn't it? 4 1 on paper. Regardless of how you played, the, mm. li- the score line is what matters most at the end there. And sometimes that can sort of lead to a bit of downward turn in morale. Because if you've come away and played well but still lost heavily, it plays on your mind that oh if we're playing well and still not picking up results, then where are we going to pick up results? I think it's a different kettle of fish because obviously United have you know there's so many contributing factors. But and obviously I don't think you can anyone really had Newcastle down to win, regardless of whether Ronaldo was going to be there or not. But it 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 could swing in the way of you know it could be like okay we've played well, we've lost we expected to lose Regroup, play like that again against a team, you know, sort of closer to our ability level, we will beat them. But it could flip the opposite side, opposite side, and go. Well, if we've played well and been hammered, mm-hmm. where are we going to get the result from? And it, you know, it's all about how. I think it's more about how Newcastle recover for their next game, as opposed to how they played on the pitch. And to be you
0: fair, again, against smaller teams as well, the the initiative would be different. Obviously, Newcastle be expected to. Attack and lead as opposed to sitting back and hitting them on the counter. And that's arguably something they struggle with more. So maybe yeah, it's a difficult one for Newcastle. Difficult one for Steve Bruce and the fans aren't too happy either. Anyway, your two teams played Leicester versus Manchester City. Callum was there. Tom, you were there, or you were there in spirit?
2: I was there in spirit. I Fantastic. Was, uh, yeah. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. Just double checking though. I didn't want to assume. Um, and it was well. It was, from, from, from my experience, neutral. Uh, I thought it was a, a quite competitive game. Manchester City probably deserved to win, but maybe lacking a little bit of efficiency in the final third in terms of chances. I don't, think they were, I don't necessarily think Manchester City missed a lot of clear chances, but maybe as they got into the final third, they didn't quite engineer the, the opportunity in the, in the right way, perhaps. Uh, obviously, Gabriel Jesus early on probably should have scored. And Leicester did counter-attack really well and had opportunities themselves possibly could have got a point and that wouldn't have been necessarily a a shocking result because it was quite a close game that City, Manchester probably slightly deserved to win, but a draw you'd have probably said was also fairly reasonable outcome. Fair, Tom?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think again, we find it on occasion with City and we'll find it on more occasions across the course of the season where, When we struggle to score early, we had it against Spurs when we got beat on the first game of the season. If we don't find that breakthrough early and then teams are always going to get chances against City on the way. Our teams with the quality of the likes of Spurs and Leicester are going to create chances because of how high the line is that we play. I mean, Vardy scores against us virtually every time we play them. And you look at the start of the second half, Barnes hits a bar and, and Vardy's marginally offside and one of those chances go in and we're probably talking about Leicester winning that game and Mm. we saw that at the start of the game like you say Jesus had a half decent chance I think Torres at the side net and just before we scored and we had a couple more chances in in between those and I thought it looked like it was going to be one of those days where we're going to do everything but put the ball in the back of the net and then 89th minute Vardy was going to score on the counter attack but I think yeah I think for me we deserve to win the game but I don't think Leicester were particularly bad or bad value. I think the the way they set up and the way they played was how you should play against City. And the fact that no team or very few teams are going to come and go toe to toe in terms of possession with City. But the way that Leicester play is everything that we hate, and that's the reason they beat us so often. Or they have beaten us in recent times. It's the way that the way that the likes of of Barnes and um, sort of that that high press that Leicester play counter attacking how how we play it, it's it's perfect and. I think I'd much rather get this game out of the way now early in the season before either side hits his stride. I would not have liked to be playing Leicester sort of in Leicester away I should say in like March, April then they're, they're the kind of games that will trip you up. So for me, I'm, I'm happy to get this game out of the way to to sort of get the victory. And yeah, again, the, this team is, we've still got players to come back and the players that are there, Grealish seems to have settled in really well already. He seems to be, his relationship down that left-hand side is is working wonders at the moment. So yeah, it's it's positive signs for City. I think we've we've not we have big wins, obviously against Arsenal and Norwich, but neither of them came to to really try and play football in any in any capacity. So that's our first for me, with the exception of the Spurs game, our our first real test of the season, our first hard fought victory. And yeah, get get those keep those wins coming. Whilst all the eyes are on are on how Lukaku's doing at Chelsea, how Ronaldo's doing at United, we're slightly going under the radar somewhat, just just cruising along and picking up wins and. Yeah, I think I think we played well. Um I don't think it's our best performance of the season. It's again, it's not a it's not a textbook Guardiola perfect performance where we've we've created loads of chances and scored loads of goals, but it's three points at a very difficult ground, one of the hardest grounds to go to in the league. So uh you take those every day. Mm, very complimentary about Leicester Tom.
0: Uh I think it was yeah, I I I mean I I saw, I saw I followed it uh while it was going on while following the United game and following all the well, the three o'clock games, so to speak. And then from, from the highlights, I thought Leicester did create some open. I think I think one of the good things actually about Leicester as well is the, the, the different ways of play. So not afraid to knock a ball long to, for Vardy to run after or Barnes to run after, but also very efficient in playing the ball out, in transitioning the ball forward. I mean, there was a wonderful move uh, in the first half where I think it was Barnes, correct me if I'm wrong, got an opportunity which was blocked, and it all came from coming out from the back and it was it was Tielemans did a wonderful flick and it was just so elegantly played through the lines and then a long a loft of ball over, which I think I think Vardy ran on to. I think. And then I think Barnes had the chance at had the chance at the end of that move. But yeah, I mean, from your point of view, Calvin, I suppose it's not really um if Leicester want to be challenging or or at least getting a Europa League spot once again and solidifying fifth or sixth or around that. That particular vicinity, Manchester City at home. Really, it's about competing, isn't it? And and that's what I think your team did. It obviously it'd be lovely to get three points, but it was a it was a performance that was competitive and and certainly could have gone either way, really. But there'll be more opportunities, I suppose. They're, those aren't the games necessarily that Leicester have to win or have to pick up points in necessarily to cement where they already are.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think. I mean, I think before the game, everyone sort of brushed this off and was sort of like, you know, whatever happens, happens. But I think we were actually quite unlucky to not come away with a point. I think it it says a lot about the progress of Leicester over the last few years when, you know, the players, sort of I saw Gunduan Gu- put out saying how tough it was. Guardiola, I think he knows full well just how tough Leicester have been. They've given him some pretty damning results in his time. remember his first season, in charge, the Vardy hat-trick 4-2. I mean, last season, the 5-2, which was sort of a... It was almost sort of a mockery of the way Guardiola played, the way they sort of took liberties that yeah, he had last season. But at the same time, Man City have this ability to just switch it on in a flick. And, you know, there were times yesterday where some of the football, they play the foot Bernardo and Grealish linked up excellently together. You know, Bernardo is one of these players that sort of drifts in and out the squad, but he starts the most in the league anyway, the quality he has. But I think... You know, sort of. You alluded to sort of the counter-attacking style play at Leicester. I think, I, I think Leicester have evolved from that over the years. I think people who obviously don't watch him week in, week out. I think there's still a tendency to label him as this counter-attacking side. But like you said, Johnny, w- there's so many more ways to Leicester play now. He can play out from the back. We can play it long. You know, Vestergaard was spraying the ball around left front. He had a really, really good performance. Soyuntre much better. After his start to the season, that uh, it, it, the disappointment for me was Madison. You know, it, you got Greenish on the opposite side, who 12 months ago, them two were being compared as which one should be going to the Euros. Madison's miles off the pace, and as soon as Ian Acho came on playing that ten role, there was just a real good emphasis about it because Ian Acho is joining up with Vardy as a two. He's dropping in just behind. The first thing he did was collect the ball. You know, beat uh, a very strong Laporte or Diaz to it. Can't remember which one it was beaten to the ball in the air, controlled the ball brilliantly and was looking for the pass. look when he came on, looks like he's got really good, close control of the ball. You know, he was not afraid to run at players. Ryan Bertrand, first game of the season, was really good in the community shield. Solid again. It's one of those ones. And then the offside goal, you know, it was very marginal, wasn't it, by all accounts? And, you know, it could have been one of those ones that last season might have been given, might not have been given. But, you know, it's just sort of the way the way the penny drops sometimes and it it was kind of disappointing the manner of the goal we conceded because it was sort of one of those unavoidable goals but you could sort of feel it coming I think if Fardy's goal had stood and we'd gone one the up I think we'd win the game but I think you know it it, Man City know what they're doing the Guardiola knows that he can't come to Leicester and sort of do what he did to Norwich and Arsenal it's very much get a get three points, get out almost. It sort of, sort of, sort of has to start, kind of abandon his usual sort of free flow. And I know they've got the Champions League as well this week. So you may have had sort of a bit of an eye on that as well. But, you know, there's a lot of sort of talk about Edison and that we're going to play as well. They were back, you know, I wouldn't say Edison was really tested, but I thought defensively as well, Leicester were very good yesterday. I thought Schmeichel denied Jesus' of times and you know, it's one of those ones where on another day I think Leicester win, but it just wasn't that day. And like you say, they're the sort of games where you pencilers, you know, we could get a point here, but if we don't, it's not going to ruin the whole season unless mm. it's sort of the last game of the year. But I, I think that you know, next next Sunday at Brighton, they need to win. Also got Napoli on Thursday as well, so might ring a few changes to that one. So mm. it was first European game with a full house for a few years now for Leicester. Mm. So that's going to be a really nice occasion. But yeah, it's just, it's one of those, like I think we went toe-to-toe in Man City, but unfortunately just a little bit more quality got them through. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't think anyone would have complained if it was a draw, Mm. to be honest.
0: I think you both gave you two pennies there. I'll just leave it there. I think that was quite well analysed from both of you. So, uh, yeah, nothing much more to say, to be honest. Uh, Very, very competitive game from my point of view and certainly, you know, one that... I was actually surprised it didn't make the television screens given some of the other games that did. So, um, yeah, uh, moving on. I'll tell you what, though, actually, I say that, I say that. Uh, the London Derby, the early London Derby, did entertain me, I must say. Crystal Palace and Tottenham, what a game that was. Uh, maybe not for a Tottenham Hotspur fan perspective. I mean, I, I, to be fair, Tom, I'm, just, I'm still sort of looking at that and thinking... This team beat Manchester City on the opening day. Quite remarkable. Uh, first of all, kudos to Patrick Vieira, who has come in. It was a difficult start, 3 nil loss to Chelsea, but then two draws, building a bit of something there uh, in that 0-0 with Brentford and then a 2-2 with West Ham. But they were fantastic. I mean, really, really, really good. Uh, say, I, I mean, To be fair, there's probably a bit of an overblown crisis with the Tottenham thing, given that they've won the three previous games and now they've had the first loss in four. Yeah, there's always everyone likes a bit of a drama, but poor Nuno Espirito Santo was manager of the month last year, and now he's now he's the worst thing since well, I don't know uh, something very very bad. But yeah, Crystal Palace, Tom. I mean, it, it this is that kind of performance is something they would have never ever had under the previous manager I Hodgson. It was expansive, it was open, it was fun. The heart was loving life. Gallagher was fantastic. Uh, I'd I say a sort of a, a duetagonist to to Zahara who's probably man of the match. But all the, the whole team looked like they were in sync. They looked like they were having fun, and they were. And the fans must have absolutely loved what they were watching.
2: Yeah, I think for sure, and I think for Crystal Palace, um, obviously bringing in in Patrick Vieira before before the season began was. I think it was what they needed as a club. I think they'd sort of, they are not, not stalled as such, but you could see with the players they had with sort of the way that, the way that they've got the potential to play football. Don't get me wrong, they did what well, they've done well to, they're a team who at the start of the season, their goal, their primary goal will be obviously to stay up. And then they'll look at maybe a cup run and to see, to see how high they can finish in the league. But they've got players who are capable, as, as we saw on, on Saturday, um, who are capable of playing good football. And, and in Vieira, they brought in a manager who, a young manager who wants to implement his own vision on the club and and, and play the way or get the team playing, playing in a way that, that will excite the fans. And like you say, I think I don't think any Crystal Palace fan or Spurs fan for that matter, maybe not happy with the result, but they couldn't question the quality of football that they saw and and the way in which they um the way in which Crystal Palace played. I think they were obviously the um the Tanganga red card was 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 pivotal in the game and and to the result we can't question the fact that that was was a key factor but I don't think that it wasn't as though Spurs were dominating the game up until that point and then it flipped as a result of the red card I think Palace were, were more than value for the money and I don't think I don't think 3-0 is is a result that flatters them whatsoever I think that they, they were full value for for that victory and obviously a little cameo from Edouard who's come on and, and and nicked two goals in five minutes which which again bodes really well for the future and in Edward, they've got a striker who I think over the last sort of six months with with Celtic he went off the ball a little bit, but I think that was more of the basis that his head wasn't wasn't there anymore. He wanted a move. I think what, was he linked with Aston Villa maybe last summer or last January, and and then it looked as though it it was known he wanted to leave and he was going to leave. And but he's one of the, in terms of clinical strikers, no one can question his ability to put the ball in the back of the net. And again, that's something that maybe Crystal Palace have been lacking over the last couple of seasons. AU gets goals in in sort of a couple here and then doesn't score for a few for a few weeks. And Ben is obviously up and down. So they've now got a team. Connor Gallagher for me has been mightily impressive. He was man of the match for me against West Ham and maybe even man of the match again yesterday. Um yeah, yesterday. So they they they've got an exciting side and they were a side tip by many to struggle this season, potentially being a relegation battle. But if they play football like that, I think they'll be they'll be absolutely fine. And yeah, Patrick Vieira has has started his, his regime as as well as he could have hoped, really, with with some some difficult games. Let's not face it. They played obviously Chelsea and, and Spurs, he played a, an informed West Ham side away from home as well. So I don't think any Palace fans will be um too upset with, with the way the season started and Spurs on the other hand had a half decent start with it with I think was it 3-1 0 wins consecutively but mm. yeah all, awful awful yesterday um I think that that for me as if I was a Spurs fan I'd be very concerned with not only the 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 manner not only the defeat but the manner of the defeat and the way mm. they sort of seemed to just capitulate down that last half hour they 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 looked little caring in what was going on from those on the pitch and mm. Um there's been a lot of talk about about how long Espirito Santo will be at Spurs if he's been brought in as a potential stop gap until they get someone else in in 12 months time Um but if they're going to be playing like that I think Sancho, uh, Espirito Santo will do well to keep his job for 12 months because and I, I don't want to sort of jump the gun and get all worked up over one defeat but it's the manner of the defeat which, mm. which would concern me more so than the fact that they've lost the game but we're only early in the season, so I'm not talking about anyone getting sacked as of yet. But I think if if Spurs are to to be competing for any European places, they need to um, be putting up a bit more of a fight than that and, and looking like they care a little bit more than they did on Saturday.
0: And fair, I would agree. But I mean, as just one manager of the month, but I I mean that, that, that that's just more. I, and I did. I mean, I, just just to just, just to sort of counter that a little bit, because I do agree the manager' was poor. Obviously, the ten men played a part, but then also you got to count, consider to the fact the amount of people that were out. I mean, Emerson came in, he was rushed back because there were no fit uh, right backs to go in that place. Obviously, the new signing and Tanganga, who was playing there, had shifted to centre back uh, because uh, Romero, of course, who had the new signing, he wasn't available because of the Argentina situation and also Sanchez wasn't available either and Sanchez had been doing okay. Dyer went off injured as well mid-game, which was problematic given that he was one of the senior figures at centre-back, even though he's not the best centre-back. He does offer some form of leadership. Bergwein wasn't there either, but I think the biggest miss of all was Young min Son, who really does add a new dimension to that attack. And without that, I do think there is a, uh, a real struggle there, you know, Having him out is like having almost as big as having Harry Kane out. He's been phenomenal at the start of this season. Of course, scored the winner against City. So, I do agree with you to a point. There are question marks over Nuno Espirito Santo. And I do think that when he got the job, he was almost the the last one on the sheet, so to speak. But I think, and, I, and you know, I know, I know, you said you know you didn't want to be calling for people's heads or whatever. But I do think on the back of the three wins. If that There was a lot of exterior factors in that game, I feel. Now, if it does, obviously the football's always been a questionable thing with Nuno Espirito Santo, given last season at Wolves, although the seasons before that, they were playing some quite decent football, I felt. Time will tell. I always thought this was going to be a very tough season for him. And to be honest, Tottenham Hotspur is a football club. Are they fighting for the top four? No. They're fighting for relevance, I think. Not, not for a Champions League spot. So, and I say that as I'm not an Arsenal, I'm a, I'm a Burnley fellow a Burnley writer, so I have no bias whatsoever when I say I think they're fighting for relevance. The fact they kept Kane's a big thing, but Kane hasn't really hit the heights yet so far. And whether his heart's still, it's another thing as well. So I don't know. That's just my two pennies. We could go on all day about Tottenham, we could go all day all day about Crystal Palace, but Callum, we'll go to you on Leeds in Liverpool, um, which was... I mean, Leeds, I, I tell no lie when I think Liverpool could have won 7-0. I think Liverpool could have won 7 or 8-0 and it wouldn't have flattered them. This was a Leeds team to me that were a little bit like the Leeds team that came up without the explosive firepower. I was talking right at the start of these podcasts about how I thought Leeds and game game management over the season, last season, that they could see out games, that they could control games and be more smart in the way they played. And it's like they've gone backwards a bit, in their display in their performances, particularly against Liverpool, where I thought they were so gung-ho, it was crazy. But I suppose the big talking point, really, aside from Liverpool dominating, lead struggling, was the Harvey Elliott situation. Really sad for him, who could be out for a very long time. Patrick Strouk with the challenge. It was a red card given, but was it a red card? Callum?
1: Um, OK, before we address Liverpool, uh, the lead side of things from the way they play, obviously, Condolences to Harvey Elliott. It was a horrible challenge for a player so young with so much talent as well. He's really, really blossomed since he's come into the side. And, you know, it's, no one wants to see an injury like that. It's great to steal the lead, sort of, but you never want to see anything like that. You know, hopefully he recovers quickly, but it looks like it's going to be a pretty long-term one. Red card, as you said. I think I have to agree with Gary Neville. It's one of those really awkward decisions to the referee. It's not intentional. He's not gone to break Harvey Elliott's leg. He's not. You know, he's 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 trying to break the play by giving a foul away, essentially. It's just so unfortunate, but I think just the manner of the injury and, you know, how severe it is, I, I think it's hard not to give a red card for something like that. It's a leg breaker. He's quite literally broken his leg and not just broken his leg, it's a severe leg break, you know, and... it it sort of puts the referee in a really difficult decision because he knows that he's not done it on purpose. You know, I I have full faith that Pascal Schrault didn't go in intending to break Harvey Elliott's leg. It's just one of those things that happens. And I'm sure he feels awful about it too, but I think the referee has no option but to give a red card. And, you know, you could see the reaction in the crowd. Not many people disagreed with it. It's only when people see replays on telly and stuff when people begin to question, but I think it just the nature of it, you know, Leeds might appeal it, but I can't see how it gets over to...
0: Yeah, I think people there. were more talking about, I mean, even Jurgen Klopp was asked about it and he said, and, and quite rightly so, well, Strauch will get three games, but Harvey Elliott will be gone for a very, very much longer period of time, and that's the big issue.
1: Well, for a player of that talent as well, you know, sort of, he, he got rave reviews at Blackburn, he was very highly rated, obviously, he was, I believe he's still the youngest Premier League player from when he came on at Fulham. Uh, So I I don't know if that's still true now. Um, But, you know, after his performances at Blackburn last last season, Klopp obviously wanted to integrate him in. He wasn't going to start. But it's sort of a good game to start him in, yeah. Bit of a high-pressure thing, Liverpool lead, you know. Back in the day, that's a top-of-the-table clash, isn't it? So Mm. there's a bit of history between the two sides you know Liverpool got Champions League game this week as well yeah. so they you know, would probably try out a few things perfect way to start Harvey Elliott he probably normally he would start out on the wing playing a bit deeper wasn't he sort of according to the formation mm-hmm. it, it, it's such a shame to see it because he, he, he looks like he, he's such a confident player on the ball he fears nothing and like like Klopp says you know Sharks can get three games and be back but Harvey Elliott it Get, I, I'd be surprised if we don't see him back for another 12 months at least but just mm. to touch on Leeds I think that, that Leeds are one of these sides that we praise an awful lot for the way they play and you know whilst it's great that they go out all gun high there's some games where you just can't do that because quite frankly they don't have the quality to do that against the side of the, it's why they got beaten heavily by United this season and last season they haven't won a game yet this season you know they struggled at Burnley, I would say they weren't mightily impressive at Burnley. And was it a draw against Brighton as well? The river game? Um, Everton, sorry, yeah, that's the one. And then obviously a 3 0 loss today. And it's not just, it's like you say, it's more sort of the way it was so easy for Liverpool. They weren't really out of second, for gear. Where, Salah getting his hundredth goal, Mane. I thought Mane's fin- the turn and finisher. I love a goal like that. Antonio scored one for West Ham the other week like that.
0: Mm, should have had about seven Mane to be fair.
1: Yeah, he should have done. And that's sort of a bit of criticism with Mane over the last two years. He sort of you know he used to be a one chance one finish, but you know sort of you know it's going through. But he's still scoring goals even through what you would call a difficult patch for him. But is it that no. difficult? patches you're scoring up. Leeds, they just do frustrate me sometimes. They get a lot of praise. I know sort of like, I remember the United game last season when Martin Tyler sort of was like, you know, you have to praise Leeds, but can you praise a team when they concede goals as easily as they do? No. And I think that sort of fairy tale of them coming up now has to sort of stop it. Sort of the pundits, fairy tale, isn't it? They sort of all want Leeds to do well because of their previous history. But quite frankly, they need to sort of, step it up a bit more you know it's not the, it's not the first season back now they had a good season last season surprised a few teams of the way they played but you know teams are clocking on to the way they play now and you know sometimes you know the games like that you can't go gun-ho against the team like Liverpool because they will just pick you off like the way they did and it was too easy
0: but as I sort of said and I do I sort of I do agree with you this is just, I think it was like leads that came up without the firepower because there was such a change in that second half of last season. They changed the way they played. They were more methodical. They were less gung-ho. They were more about game management. And for some reason, I don't know what I don't know what that reason is, but for some reason there has been a regression which has said, okay, we're going to do exactly what we did when we came up. And I don't understand it because Obviously, I think Furpo actually looks a li- looks like he's struggling a little bit. Alioski obviously went in the summer. And I do think that Liverpool went down that side a lot. Calvin Phillips has been a little bit sluggish towards the start of the season. Maybe a bit of a, a hangover from the Euros. I'm not so sure. But I would be thinking, how has it gone from how we finished the end of last season, how we built towards the end of last season? How has it gone from that to what it was like at the start? Which was high, frenetic, exciting, but also a bit naive. And I'm not quite sure how it's gone back to that. But I'm sure it's something they'll address over the season. And I'm absolutely no doubt that they'll be in the Premier League come the end of the season. They've got some phenomenal quality. Some are
1: a bit fatigued, isn't it? You know, they've been playing this relentless style for a long time now. And yeah. like you say, Captain Phillips, he's probably gen- generally just quite like He's played loads of football over the last couple of years. And you know, it's playing at that pace. It must take it out. We know how hard Bielsa works his side. Mm. But it, it's been well known how hard. It might be a case of quite simply, you know, they didn't recruit massively in the summer. They didn't bring many players in, which isn't the criticism because they had quite a well balanced squad, didn't they? But you know, I don't think Rodrigo sort of there to take the firepower off, take the burden off Bamford. It's sort of you know, if Bamford's not scoring the bulk of the goals, you struggle to see where a lot mm. of the goals. From in the lead side and that will and you know you can make all the chances you want but in the Premier League if you miss these chances you will get punished especially by a side with the quality of Liverpool
0: yep okay so on to the Arsenal game briefly as well well we'll go slightly more briefly as the game's gone but Arsenal 1-0 over Norwich relegation 6-pointer I joke a little bit um tom it was i suppose an inevitable it had to be a win for Mikel arteta they had 30 shots in that game dominating norwich in most instances but yet again they couldn't close the game out and at the end Pookie had a shot that was blocked and there was panic around the emirates and in the the dugout so it, it was just a necessary three points the pleasing performance generally the goal was symptomatic of a team that can't score a goal because it was Crash, bang, Wallet. Pepe falls over, rolls, knocks it into a bamiang and he taps it in. And then they think it's offside, but it's not offside. It was symptomatic of a, of a team in a very bad situation. Do you think this is the start of something for Arsenal? Do you think it's going to need to be a lot more convincing for a sustained period of time before we get carried away?
2: I am just not sold on Arsenal. No, and not many are. I, it, my, my issue with Arsenal is that how I see it, I see Arsenal right now very similar to the way in which Man City were in Guardiola's first season in charge. Not not quite the level of City because Mikel Arteta is trying to implement a style of play similar to what he's learned at City under Guardiola with a team that just simply are not capable of playing this style of football. Uh, Don't get me wrong, Arsenal's squad most premier league managers would take Arsenal's squad over the squads they've got they've got enough quality in that team to be competing in the top half of the table there's no doubt about that there's no doubt in that they've got they've got su- superstars maybe not they've got they've got top quality in this side um, but they just don't have this they don't have the the necessary players or the necessary ability in the squad for me to be able to to play the style of football that Arteta wants him to play. And in Arteta, you've got a young manager who's got no previous senior managerial experience and has only learned one style of football from his time as an assistant manager at Manchester City. And we struggled, City struggled in our first season, we just about scraped fourth place. We had, I think, Kolarov playing centre-half with Sanyu and things like that because we hadn't spent the money to bring in the players that Guardiola wanted and the players that Guardiola needed to play that football. And again, I don't think Arsenal have recruited massively well either. I don't think they've brought in the players. they brought in players that, that make them better. Higher spenders, the like, summer, higher spenders
0: in the summer, higher spending Yeah,
2: this is it. You think a team spending that much money should be coming out and looking better than they did last season? And for me, they don't. Mm-hmm. For me, if anything, they look worse than they looked last season. And again, like you say, they, you, you joked about it being a relegation six-pointer. Arsenal aren't going to go down. Let's face it, Arsenal no. will not get relegated it w- or it would be a very big surprise if they did get relegated. But I mean, I've seen the Pepe Instagram post screenshot on Twitter. I don't know if that was true or if that was edited or if he actually put on his Instagram that um, we're staying up or whatever. But if that is the case, that mentality, I know it's a joke. I think it's edited. <laughs> I, I, I've seen it in a few places. I think it was initially, I don't know if it was initially put up and then he edited it because of the backlash he got for it. Or if it was just edited and put up, I won't, obviously I didn't, I didn't see it in the flesh, but th- this sort of mentality around Arsenal at the minute is that they've got this, this big, people see them as a big club because of the history and they are a big club in their own right. But we should not be talking about Arsenal as a team that will be challenging for any of the European spots this season because they're mm. simply not good enough. No, You can't have that much possession and there, there, that many chances. And, and against the team, again, with all due respect to Norwich, Norwich aren't going to win many games of football this season. Norwich know that they're in a relegation battle. And for Arsenal, that was an opportunity, coming out of an international break, to come down and, and lay down a marker and say, right, we kick on from here. We're going to put in a big mm-hmm. performance today. We'll win convincingly. And this our season starts now. And yes, they got the three points. And yes, they won the game. But no one would be leaving that ground on Saturday afternoon saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get going here. And I think, again, you look ahead to. I'm not. I'm not sure who they play next week, but Mighty Burnley.
0: till next week. Is, is it Burnley? Is yeah. it see
2: for, for yourself as a Burnley fan. You're not yeah. worried about. You're not worried about playing Arsenal next week. Yeah. You? you don't. You don't see that performance this weekend, and it fills you with, with dread that Arsenal are going to come and play you off the park because they just simply at the moment anyway not good enough to do that to to many teams or any teams in in with the squad they've got now and the and the way that they try and play football. I just don't see them maintaining any any sustained run of form that would see them troubling the Europa League places or the, maybe even the Europa Conference League places. I think that is realistically their aim now, is to get any sort of European football next season. Mm. And you think they had X amount of seasons consecutively playing Champions League football, the decline from, from mm. where they were has been staggering how much they've fallen off over the course of the last five, six, seven years.
0: Yep, fallen off a cliff. Absolutely crazy. Um, who said post venger life would be easy? It's about as easy as bloody Brexit. Anyway, on to just just, just sort of to go through shorts on this, really. Um, Chelsea. We talked about Chelsea immensely over various podcasts, so keep all these quite brief. I mean, I, I, the, the main thing for me really about Chelsea was the fact that there was no... They didn't start with Aspilliqueta. They didn't start with Reese James, who was suspended. No Kante. No Judge no Jorginho. No Mason Mount, and yet they beat Aston Villa. A very good Aston Villa, three 0 and it was a very good game. Lukaku actually with with a with a wonderful brace that rivalled Cristiano Ronaldo's brace. If there was any argument about Ronaldo's two goals, Lukaku's finishes were incredibly emphatic, and they, really it, it it just to me cemented Chelsea's title credentials. And I don't think there's really much more to say on that really basis. To be honest, I thought Villa played quite well, but ultimately. They, they they lost the game because of a world class forward up top, and just just some moments of brilliance by Chelsea. It wasn't the best performance, but they won three 0 And Aston Villa teams littered with quite good quite good players. I mean, when they all get going, they should they can really storm the the league, so to speak. Maybe not the top six, but they should certainly be in the top half. Watkins and Ings—that's a partnership that's bound to thrive. You'd imagine at some point. In other games, of course, Watford losing at home to Wolves. Uh, Cisco Munoz, the Watford manager, new Watford manager, he'll be getting sacked if he loses another game. Probably that is the case at Watford. That's usually what happens. They have managers like on a merry-go-round and then after the merry-go-round's done, the manager's gone. It is that brutal. It's crazy. Watford seemingly having a bit of trouble scoring goals. They're also having trouble keeping them out, which isn't a good combination for what you want to survive. No obvious goal scorer of Premier League proven ability. At the back, I actually quite like Backman in goal. I think he's a very solid goalkeeper, got a lot of attention in the summer. But then it doesn't help, of course, when a Wolves team that can't seem to score goals, you you give them one with Francisco Serial to put him through his own net when he wasn't really under much pressure uh, to do anything. And then he obviously headed the cross into his own net, not very good. And then Huang Yi-Chan with a late second summer signing for Wolves. I mean, it's great for Wolves as well because Wolves were struggling. Uh, struggling to score goals, but the level of performance has been outstanding, and they got a bit of luck, and they deserved they well. They deserved a win, really. um In on that fourth game, and they deserved some goals, so they got both, and that's fantastic. Now Brentford and Brighton was also quite interesting because I don't know. Uh, I know Callum's not the most avid of fancy football players, but he does sort he does play it He's in some leagues with my good self, Tom. Do you play fancy football? Do you own Leandro Trossard? I know the answer is no, because no one owns Leandro Trossard, but I did. And Leandro Trossard scored in the 91st minute, the last 10 seconds of that game. wasn't even paying attention. And then I said, oh, it's nil-nil then. Trossard scored. It was quite an even game, Tom. It was quite an even game. I was delighted on a personal level at that because I wanted to get rid of him for two weeks in a row. And then he delivered. Are you a big fancy football player, Tom, or am I just speaking gibberish to you now?
2: No, I am. I've had a sinker this week. I don't think many people have had a particularly good week. But with my, I've always had a thing that I just point blank refused to have any United players in my team, just ah. because I'm I'm just a little bit bitter on that front. Like I just won't, and it's not a great decision in terms of a strategic approach as a manager. No. But as a City fan who's had a, the brunt of the abuse from United fans growing yeah. up, yeah. I just point blank refused to have them in my team. And seeing all my friends with Ronaldo as captain huh. this week banging, plenty of points, has done me yep. no favours. So uh, yep. maybe I might have to uh, grow up at some point and yep. adapt my, uh, my my approach to fantasy football. But yep. uh, no, no trust in the team for me either.
0: Happy Ronaldo captain right here. Um, yep. And I very much was. And, and just to sort of round that off as well, quite a bizarre one, actually. Uh, the, the 0-0 Southampton West Ham, Mikel Antonio, with a red card, which was quite ridiculous. I mean like sort of being a bit petulant towards the end after doing a late tackle not too long ago. I mean, Mikel Antonio has been on fire. He's been crazy. He's been banging goals in left, right. I said, so I suppose it was quite natural that something like this was to happen. It was quite a close game between Southampton team that have surprised me actually in the way they started the season, full of energy, full of endeavor, a little bit unlucky in a few games. That's now three draws, three draws in a row after that disappointing defeat against Everton. So that's something to build upon. And for West Ham, I suppose, I was, you know what? Of all the nil-nil games this week, I would have said that was one of the least likely. I thought there were goals from both teams. We both had chances. Antonio got himself sent off as well, maybe a bit annoyed at that nil-nil fact. Um, but there you go. I suppose that's, that's my whistle-stop tour to end a discussion that could have gone on for three hours if we're going at the same rate per game. As I took matters into my own hands and started to motor mouth my way through it. And hopefully that sort of covered all angles from all different perspectives on the Premier League front. In terms of around Europe now, we're going to do this slightly with a view to looking at the Champions League as well. Because as you both noted, as Callum noted a few times, we are going into the first stage of the Champions League and the Europa League this week. So, I mean, in terms of the Champions League, first of all, we've got... I, I mean, we'll go with you, you, Tom. First, we've got Manchester City RB Leipzig. Leipzig on the back of a 4-1 defeat to Bayern Munich this weekend. And Julian Nagelsmann playing against his old club, going back to the arena, which he managed at previously and absolutely storming them. Some fantastic goals. In that game, Jamal Muziala with a fantastic goal and assist. Lewandowski, of course, on the score sheet as well. Actually, Lima with the pick of the goals, although it was albeit a consolation for Leipzig. I mean, Manchester City, they expect to the, the, the kind of team they would love to play is probably an RB Leipzig, isn't it? Someone that gives you space in behind. It should it should be a game which you're feeling quite confident about in midweek.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't think Leipzig, or Leipzig, I should say, don't Um, scare me as much as he would have done last season I think Leipzig have that approach similar to the way we see with Monaco in in Liga and where they'll buy players cheap um, develop them and then they'll take the profit on them when they come and they've they've lost obviously a couple of big names including obviously the manager over the course of the summer and they've not had the the brightest like you say the brightest start to the, the Bundesliga season but they play football again that that will, if we don't take chances, they will they will create chances across the course of the game. Um so they're not they're not a guaranteed three points by any stretch of the imagination. But I think with the group or with our group, should I say being on paper more difficult than it has been in previous seasons, I think we are going into every oh well, sorry, the four games I should say against against La- the two against Leipzig and the two against Club Bruges, knowing that we need to be picking up maximum points in all of those games and that the games against PSG realistically should decide who wins that group. So I'm not overly concerned by Leipzig Um, probably famous last words because we've seen disappointing defeats in the champions league at home before Leon a couple of seasons ago springs to mind. So it's a game by where we can't be complacent and we can't go into the game expecting to have won it, but it's a game that, that, that we should win and we should hopefully win convincingly. Um, We've got players coming back. We've got rotation. and We've got the ability mm. to rotate players in and out of the squad mm. uh, and keep legs fresh. And I think we should have too much for Leipzig on Tuesday. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, Wednesday, I think. Is it Wednesday? I think it is. Yeah, uh, yeah
2: fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. I mean, to be fair, uh, I think
0: in terms of, well, the, I mean, the, the La Liga Giants playing some some quite, quite interesting ties, Calum, actually. You've got Barcelona taking on... Uh, a, 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 a Bayern Munich, <laughs> a Bayern Munich team that have just, as I say, annihilated Leipzig, are going to start to find their groove under Nagelsmann. Uh, Barcelona's game actually with Sevilla this week was pers- this weekend was postponed, so that's that's that I suppose. But it's not it's not all in and Rose at Barcelona, of course. There's a lot of animosity. It'll be in front of in front of a, a full new house at Newt Camp now. And on the other hand, you've got Real Madrid and they're taking on Inter Milan team who under Inzaghi are second in Serie A. They did draw 2-2 this weekend. But again, these are two clubs in Inter uh, and Bayern Munich that could really embarrass uh, the Catalan giants that used to dominate European football just so early on in the group stages of this Champions League.
1: Yeah, I think buying you know, Nagelsmann, Hansi Flick, it, it, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a change, isn't it? So it took a like obviously Bayern was still picking up points but it took a bit of like a bit of transition but I think the Leipzig game showed this weekend they've mm. now got the gist of the Nagelsmann way and once it, once he gets clicking especially with that pool of players at his disposal it could get quite messy quite quickly um, at the new camp I think full house is going to be as you said a lot of animosity they've lost their you know their, their son as it were pretty much messy he is he is theirs he's not there that alone is enough to turn a fan but It's so toxic there. I mean, you know, you saw PK coming out about the booing towards them titty. You know, Griezmann's gone. You know, it's it's just a mess, really. I mean, poor old pedro He's got the weight of his world on his shoulders. Come back from his holiday. He looks absolutely shattered, bless him. But, you know, he's, he's trying to drag this drag this team through through the mud, basically, but I just can't see anything other than Barca- Barcelona getting quite quite humbled by Bayern, you know Lewandowski's ridiculously talented. They've got players that are sort of, you know, they're, they're, Gnabry's getting into a stride. Mm. Real Madrid as well, sort of, you know, Vamos and Varane, you know, for years, that too, you would argue, have been one of the best centre-back pairings in the world. They've still got great players, don't get me wrong, but Inter Milan, a lot of people kind of expect them to crumble a bit, given their financial difficulties and, you know, losing Conte. But Inzaghi's come in and this is where Inzaghi sort of thrives. You know, he does well with limited resources. You know, he did wonders at Lazio with a very sort of tight owner, as it were, reluctant to spend big money. He's come in and he's, you know, he's brought in his own players, you know, but he's he's kept, obviously they've lost the Kaku, but... They've, they've kept the large bulk of that squad. Barella, fantastic football. You know, Martinez, great player. He's still got plenty of talent. Now, Inter Milan sort of will go there with no fear because mm. it, is there it, is it much to fear about Real Madrid? I think obviously there's the allure of it being Real Madrid. But as a squad in itself, a, a team of the calibre of Inter Milan, they will go there and not fear it, surely.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it'll be an in. Well, is that um, San Siro? Which, but. They will probably yeah. go to. They'll probably go to, uh oh, yeah. Stadio, oh. and not fear, uh um, yeah. either. By <laughs> way,
1: by way, they're gonna. They'll look at Real Madrid and I think three points.
0: And then okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, the other standout part of that, of course, is Liverpool versus AC Milan. I don't think we can really add much to that, other than well, just look back at history if you want to see uh, a wonderful game in the Champions League. I hope it's half as good as that. I must say. In terms of the Europa League as well, Dinamo Zagreb against West Ham, that'll be interesting. Rangers versus Leon, I think that'll be quite interesting. Uh, Callum's favourite team, Rangers. Uh, Real Betis versus Celtic, I sarcastically say less as a, as a team that Callum does like. Uh, Celtic taking on Real Betis will be an interesting game. And then I actually do think Leicester versus Napoli is the tie of the uh, of the Europa League round. I suppose I'll give you the lasting word on that. Uh, in fact, I'll just say, Uh, before we get Callum's last word on that, do give us a subscribe, do give, you everything obviously listening, if you're still listening, fantastic, good job, do give us a subscribe, do give us a review uh, on your podcasting platforms, would mean a lot, I've already said this at the start, on a premeditated video, but, uh, or audio, if whatever, but yeah, I'll just reinforce that message now, and I suppose, I'll tell you what, Callum will tell you about Leicester vs. Napoli in brief, but he'll also then sign out.
1: Oh, okay, big pressure, Um... Yeah, less than athlete. I think it, the bookies have made us joint favourites to win. So I don't personally think we joint. We shouldn't be listed as favourites. Great game, though. Great great to have a full house back in Europe. Missed out last year, obviously. Got some cracking ties. Quite literally the group of death with some of the trips we've got to make. But perfect. Well, this is what you live for. You test. You want to test yourself against the best in athlete, certainly. In this competition, at least, will be one of the best. Um, it'll be exciting to see if Rodgers makes some changes. If he does, if he doesn't, I think he's got one eye on Europa League this season after sort of prioritising the FA Cup. I think it will it will be a very good game. I think it will be a very close encounter. Um, both teams possess lots of quality, and it, I think whoever scores first on Thursday will win. I don't know what you two think about it, but.
0: Uh we we don't have time for Tom's opinion or mine, but I would say it's a very it's a very interesting um, very interesting way to summarize. I should say actually before before I did ask you to sign up, I'm glad you did because I do want to thank Tom for impartially representing all Man United fans with their non-blue tinted glasses. I think you've done a very good job. You've also reminded anyone who didn't know what a Manchester accent sounded like, what a Manchester accent sounds
2: like. I try my best. I try my best to represent us, uh, us Northerners are doing all not right. Aren't we We've got quite a nice little representation of like the Midlands and the North today, which is uh, which is fantastic. But, uh, mm. but no, with the exception of my uh, my stance against having United players in my fantasy team, I think I try my best to, uh, to give us, like, as impartial of you as I can. Um, mm. But yeah, I know it's been a pleasure. Thank you for uh, for having me on to chat. Fantastic.
0: Eddie, uh, Callum, I'll let you sign out if you would like to.
2: Yeah, well, thank you very much. Uh, big
1: pressure. Johnny's very good at signing out. So I'm going to say thank you for listening. Uh, as Johnny uh, previously mentioned, um, make sure to like, subscribe, follow follow the Babbel account, follow Tom, follow Johnny.
0: Don't follow the Babbel account, just follow me. So right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really care. Don't,
1: don't, follow, don't follow me. But thank you very much for listening. I'm sure we'll be back next week with uh, just as much interesting content. So stay tuned and uh, stay safe.